Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. The Poop Loop. No, we're not talking about the reference in SpongeBob SquarePants, but we will have a link to that in the show notes. We're not referring to a leash accessory that holds your dog's poop bag so you can finally be hands-free. You're going to have to look that one up yourself. Nor is this an explanation of composting toilets. You're going to have to go deep into the Google search engine to find out what we're talking about on this episode. It's how Mother Nature feeds your plants and what you can do to aid that process. The result? A healthier, more productive garden. Organic advocate, soil pedologist, and underground poop expert Steve Zion has the details. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we're brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Don't feed your plants, feed your soil instead. You know, in past episodes, we have gone deep into what makes for a successful plant, and much of that success is soil-related. The soil and all those beneficial critters that are in the root zone. And the better you treat the beneficial critters in the soil, my next guest says the healthier your plants will be, because it's all about the soil. So let's turn it over to the Sultan of Soil, the Duke of Dirt, the Mayor of Mycorrhizal Activity, soils expert Steve Zion. And Steve's spring gardening has begun how about helping us get our garden off to a good start? You mentioned that there's lots of critters living in the soil. And if you have what's called a healthy soil, years ago, gardeners wanted that loamy soil. We have now learned that what we really want is a healthy soil. The healthy soil is alive with all of these microbes that you just talked about. And give you an idea of how many there are in a teaspoon of healthy soil, you will find eight billion microbes and they're all there helping your plants obtain moisture obtain nutrients fight off pests create a wonderful living soil condition that that is more favorable for plant root development and then versus uh, if you've been using synthetic fertilizers and pesticides uh, rather than 8 billion microbes you might find oh maybe 50 <laughs> in that teaspoon of soil so how you manage that soil is so very, very critically important. Let's talk about one of your uh, favorite products, the blue crystal fertilizer stuff. I'm being facetious, of course. <laughs> but what happens when you take synthetic fertilizers and uh, pour it around the ground? What What is the process by which that stuff does good or does not do good? Well, there, there are two major problems with synthetic fertilizers. One is salt. Uh, they're very, very high in salt, and salt is a dehydrating agent. It sucks the moisture out of anything and everything it comes in contact with. There's a thing called what's called fertilizer burn. When you put too much synthetic fertilizer down or you don't water it in enough, 
the salt content will be so high, it will actually suck the moisture right out of your plant roots and kill the plants. Or if it's not quite that bad, it will cause the plants to wilt. Now, if it can do that much damage to a plant, imagine what it's doing to these microscopic organisms that are you know, made out of one cell or just a few cells. It sucks up all of the water and kills them all. These synthetic fertilizers that are high in salts are destroying almost all of the soil biology. Now, the other main issue with these synthetic fertilizers is they're water soluble, which means when you apply them on the ground and you irrigate or water them in, if there's any runoff, because they dissolve in the water, most of that fertilizer is going to run off the lawn, go across the curb, into the gutter, and directly into our creeks and streams. Also, because it's water-soluble, when you irrigate the little bit that does, does go into the soil, every time you irrigate, it's going to be pushing that fertilizer right past the root zone. And because there's no soil biology, these fertilizers, these synthetic fertilizers have to be right next to where the roots are. And so if you've got a fertilizer, let's say it's got 33% nitrogen, and you put that down, you water it, you irrigate it following label directions, some of it's going to run off the soil surface. And so that amount of the fertilizer is gone. The material that moves into the soil uh, while it's still there next to the roots, most of those that fertilizer is in the soil that is not close enough for the roots to absorb them. And then the fertilizer will then, with subsequent rain or irrigation, move right past the root zone. And so the that 33% nitrogen, some of it's running off, some of it doesn't even get close enough to the roots to get absorbed, and the rest of it leaches beyond the root zone. So even though you've got 33% nitrogen, the amount that's actually getting into the plant is about 1% or 2%, if that. So it's not very efficient. You know, everybody thinks that these with these big numbers, they're going to get more bang for their buck than the than the organic fertilizers. But that's really not the case. Sounds like you're trying to blow a hole into my statement that plant roots aren't straws. It sounds like what you're saying is that uh, in order for that fertilizer to work, it has to be right on top of the roots for the roots to absorb it. I always thought there was some sort of process going on down there that is converting those synthetic fertilizers into a more usable form for the plant. If you're using organic fertilizers, that's exactly the case. So you've got an organic fertilizer, might have 5% nitrogen. Um, it's low in salt. It's not very water soluble typically. And so when you put it on the soil surface and water it in, some of it's going to go in there. Sometimes the worms and the biology will have to work that material into the soil. And it's feeding the soil biology. The soil biology eat that material and then through what's called the poop loop, make change that those nutrients into forms that the plants can utilize. And some of these microbes, for example, the mycorrhizal fungi, which are, have like long, they're like long strands. You can get miles of the, these strands in a thimble full of soil. And they actually attach themselves to the roots and then go off large distances, depending upon whether it's an annual plant or, or a perennial or like a tree. And they extend the area that that root system can now absorb nutrients. And it gets to the point where there's no place in the soil that's not full of this soil biology that can take the the, fertile, the organic fertilizers, the compost, 
the worm castings that are filtering down into the soil and provide it to the plant. So that for, if you're using an organic fertilizer has 4% nitrogen, almost all of that is going to get into your plant. So you're, you're really getting more bang for your buck with an organic fertilizer. I think it's very helpful to do a soil test in the beginning and fertilize appropriately so that you, you know, if you, you might have toxicities, you might have deficiencies. And if you get things in balance at that point, then really all you need to do is, is keep adding compost, mulch, and worm castings. I'm, I'm a firm believer in worm castings. And you don't mix them in with the soil. You don't want to disturb the soil. You just put them on top. Every time you disturb the soil, you are killing soil biology and you're setting it back. You're destroying what's called soil structure. And really, that's one of the goals that a, that a gardener and landscaper should be doing is trying to create soil structure, in particular, if you have a sandy soil or a clay soil. What structure is a variety of different sized pores in, in your soil. And you want large pores and you want small pores. The small pores and the medium-sized pores hold water. The large pores are important because that's where the roots go, you know, moving through. That's where the worms move through. But also after you irrigate or after it rains, those large pore spaces, the water in those large pore spaces will get sucked out of there and down by the force of gravity so that you have air in your soil. It's amazing how people water too frequently, filling up all of those pore spaces. They think, oh, my, my plant needs water. We've got to realize our plant roots also need oxygen and air. And so you need that, those large pore spaces. And the way you get that variety of pore spaces by creating soil structure is you don't till it because that destroys the soil structure, but you encourage the beneficial microscopic organisms. Uh, the bacteria, for example, exude glues. They're little one-celled critters. And if they didn't glue themselves to the particles of soil, every time it rained or, it, or you irrigated, they would get washed below the soil, out of the root zone. So they glue themselves to the soil particles. They produce enough glue so that the sand, silt, and clay particles and pieces of organic matter get glued together to form aggregates creating that variety of space, pore size spaces. You get also have things like fungi, which are just a bunch of fun guys and fun gals that are like long threads and they're tying the soil together to create structure. So you really need to do everything you can to encourage these microscopic organisms. You know, there are other critters that, that help with this as well, but those are two major players that create uh, soil structure. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied smart pot owners who have been using the same smart pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose smart pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate smart pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. 
They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com/fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your smart pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. If you haven't shopped at your favorite independently owned nursery lately, well, you're missing out. Now arriving are Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites. It's great tasting and healthy fruit and nut varieties. They're already potted up and ready to be planted. We're talking about almonds, blackberries, blueberries, boysenberries, figs, grapes, hops, kiwi, mulberries, olives, pomegranates, and much more. Oh, you want more? Well, here you go. Your favorite Dave Wilson bare root deciduous fruit trees are arriving. Peaches, plums, cherries, including my favorite, the plum apricot cross, the pluot. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great tasting fruit and nut trees of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you're going to find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. We're talking with Steve Zion, soil pedologist, owner of Living Resources Company, about soil and the benefits of adding mulch and compost to your soil. Two things we learned from uh, Debbie Flower on her recent appearances on this program in talking about soil include the benefits of mulch and that mulch has a benefit that I didn't realize before. It stops the rain from destroying those soil particles that the force of rain hitting bare soil can compress the soil, removing those pockets of air. And by keeping a few inches of mulch on top, it takes the hit for the soil yeah. from the rain and thus saves the uh, air spaces in those soil particles. It's called raindrop impact. I, my guess is you can probably go on the internet and do a search and, and search for raindrop drop impact. But the amount of force a single raindrop has or a drop of irrigation that's flying across the air can, uh, when it hits the ground, can move a soil particle five feet in the air and five feet away from where that impact was. It's a huge amount of force. And what it does is it takes the, 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 those clay particles and it moves them around in such a manner that they, all the pore spaces that were on that surface of the soil, they get plugged up with all these fine clay particles. And you get this really slick crust on top of the soil surface that doesn't allow air, doesn't allow water, doesn't allow fertilizer to move through. And uh, so a lot of times when I 
talk to people about putting mulch down uh, if it's on bare soil. I suggest that they take a metal garden rake and just lightly rake the surface of the soil to break up that surface crust because you probably have that surface crust. And it's really important to break that up. And then you will you will maximize rapidly the benefits of, of that mulch. Yeah, rain, and, and also if you have a slope and that raindrop impact hits bare soil, that's how you get erosion. It's going gonna, it's gonna to loosen all of those soil particles from that impact, and they will move down the slope. The other thing we learned from Debbie Flower, and we learned it from you as well over the years, is the fact uh, you don't want to be walking on your soil because that can compress that soil and also destroy those air pockets. Well, you can walk on your soil, but you, you'd want the soil moisture content when you walk on it to be moist. You want to stay off of your soil when it's wet. It's highly su- a subject to compaction when you walk on a wet soil. You know, you're, you're making it hard for your plant roots to grow. You're making it hard for the soil biology to function. You are eliminating most of, if not all of those large pore spaces. So you're creating a soil that doesn't breathe very well. That has, uh, when you irrigate, it has a lot of moisture, has very little air. So then you're likely to start having root disease problems. Yeah, you really need to stay off the soil when it is wet. What if you have a few inches of mulch on your garden? Is it okay if you've got the mulch on the garden to walk over it? And again, if the if the ground, you know, if you just irrigate it and that ground is really, really wet, uh, I would try and avoid it. The thicker the mulch is, though, the less impact that walking is going to have on that, less compaction there will be. So if you've got six inches, seven inches of a like a wood chip where you've got a wide variety of particle sizes and you've got, you know, some really nice large pore spaces, they will absorb quite a bit of that pressure from your weight. Recently, I was talking with Emily Murphy, author of the book Grow Now, and she made an interesting statement, and I've seen things like it from others, and I would like to get your impression of this. She was talking about the different mulches to use, and she said, If you're growing woody materials like trees and shrubs, use a woody material mulch like chipped and shredded tree branches. If you're growing a vegetable garden, you want to use mulch made from basically food, say like worm castings. True or false? Can, Can I put chips on my vegetable bed? You, you can, uh, but the, the, the reasoning is that when you put down wood chips, those wood chips are going to decompose some of, you know, wood chips typically have numerous different sized particles from really, really tiny particles that are going to get uh, move into the soil relatively quickly. And they've got bigger ones that are going to last for a longer period of time. That material will feed the soil biology the best that is associated with woody materials. It's food for the biology that work in association with woody plants. And so it's really, really good to put down wood chips around plants that have, you know, woody, woody stems, trees, shrubs with the vegetable garden. You can certainly put that down for, um, but you would also want to put down things like worm castings, compost, and the, you know, the worm castings and compost typically are leafy type materials that have been composted either by the composting process or by uh, the worm's intestines. 
it will be more suitable and it will encourage more of the appropriate biology in the soil for those kinds of plants. And so, yeah, the kind of mulch that you have, you put down would be best if it's appropriate for the soil biology that will work best with those kinds of plants that you are trying to grow. Can I suggest a Solomon-like compromise here and perhaps put down compost or worm castings first on your vegetable bed and then top that with a few inches of a woody mulch? Yeah, I think that's fine. You know, that will, you know, will allow you to, if you're walking on those areas, uh, there's going to be less compaction like we talked about just a few minutes ago. Any kind of organic matter is, is going to be helpful. Realize the kind of organic matter you put down is going to encourage particular varieties of microscopic organisms that work better for different kinds of plants. What about colored mulches? Those are widely available now. Are good or bad for a garden? Well, I think the the big thing is, you know, what is the source of the color? <laughs> and are, the, are those dyes or paints potentially toxic? Rather than the colored materials like that, which are typically bark or, and not wood chips, wood chips are a are, are far superior material. The, the bark and, and those kinds of colored materials, typically they're only one size. They're, they're large because they don't have any small particles, they're not going to break down very, very quickly at all. And so they're not going to be nourishing the soil very much. And that would be the advantage of the wood chips is that you have that variety of particle size and it starts immediately beginning to feed the soil biology. So explain the difference between a bag of bark and a bag of wood chips. A bag of bark is, you know, just big hunks of bark from from your trees. And they're probably uh, an inch in diameter, you know, maybe a little larger, maybe a little smaller. And there's no fine particle sizes in there. They're just going to sit on the soil surface. And, you know, there are benefits to that, but they're not going to nourish the soil. They're not going to feed the soil biology. When you put down wood chips, when they when they grind those things up, they're typically grinding branches, big branches, small branches, lots of vegetation. And so the range in particle size is exceptional. And those small particle size materials are going to start nourishing and feeding the soils. By having small particle sizes toward, on the soil surface, more, it will encourage worms to come up, feed on that material every night, and then go back down in the morning and they will act as mother nature's rototillers and keeping your your soil loose by creating channels for root growth for water to move through and you're not going to get that benefit from hunks of bark you know it's amazing you mentioned the worms that come up and they'll feed on that uh, chipped and shredded uh, mulch that's uh, breaking down and helping to feed the soil what is that breakdown of that mulch due to the mycorrhizal activity how is that impacted is that a, a big help to increase their populations most certainly that's the the carbon and that kind of material is the food source for all of your beneficial microscopic organisms they are not like plants they don't have leaves up in there that can use the sun to manufacture food they've got to get all of their food from or almost all of their food from organic matter and so that organic matter when it's small enough where they can act on it they will exude chemicals that will help break that down and they will feed on it they will then make that material available through what's called the poop loop to your plant roots 
Are you going to explain that or just leave that hanging there, so to speak? Okay, okay the poop loop. Most people think of it, as, the poop loop, as nutrient cycling. As a, a soils pedologist, one who studies soils out in the real world, we call it the poop loop. And basically what the poop loop is, is you have this huge nuclear power plant up high in the sky. It's called the sun, and it's beaming down energy onto the plants. And the plants, through the miracle of photosynthesis, take carbon dioxide out of the air, put it into their body. So that, that organic matter has all this carbon in the leaves and in the stems and in the roots. And then they, the plants breathe out oxygen so that all of the animals on the planet have oxygen to breathe. So then you're getting all that organic matter. Then that organic matter, uh, in many cases, dies at some point, and then it's fed on by the decomposers, uh, primarily the bacteria and the fungi. Bacteria and fungi are very efficient feeders. They take all of that nitrogen that was in that organic matter and they store it in their bodies. And so they're storing it like bags of fertilizer, okay? Then these microscopic organisms, the bacteria and the fungi, are eaten by small little microscopic soil predators. And they are not very efficient at using nitrogen. And so they've got to get rid of that excess nitrogen. And how do they do that? They poop. And that nitrogen is in, a, in their poop is in a form perfect for plant roots to absorb. And then those microscopic critters that are feeding on the, on the uh, bacteria and the fungi, they're eaten by bigger guys who are eaten by bigger guys who are eaten by bigger guys. And as you go up that chain, their efficiency of using nitrogen goes down. And so they end up having to get rid of that excess nitrogen. And so they poop and that poop looping goes on. These, these predators are basically like fertilizer spreaders. And they are, they are taking that stored up fertilizer in the bacteria and the fungi, and they are spreading it around the soil in a form that the plant roots can absorb. That's why mother nature doesn't have to add fertilizer. That's the poop loop. Somebody may be wondering, well, then it's okay then to add my animal poop to my compost pile. I would say no. Um, I think it depends on the animal. I think, I think it's the uh, meat-eating animals that you really want to avoid. And uh, that's primarily due to the possibility of diseases uh, that can go from the animal poop and into or on the produce that you will eat. And then you will be ingesting that, those spores from those potential diseases that can cause you health problems. Anything else you want to add to this? Enjoy the poop loop. Steve, thanks so much. It's been fun, Fred, as always. Thanks. You may have listened to our chat with Emily Murphy, author of the new garden book, Grow Now, when she talked about your NQ. That's your nature quotient, a measurement of how in tune with nature you just might be. The higher the NQ, the better the gardener you probably are. But we really didn't dig down to find out the specifics, such as what sort of questions you should ask yourself about your own NQ and ways you can improve your nature quotient. So that would make an excellent topic for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. It's the free garden email newsletter that comes out every Friday. Take the quiz and find out easy ways to better connect with your natural surroundings. 
It's in the edition of the newsletter that comes out Friday, March 25th. So take a stroll through the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. Find a link in the podcast show notes or at farmerfred.com or by going to substack.com slash garden basics. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, and it's free. Please subscribe, share it with your gardening friends and family. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you for listening. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, Castbox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.